0: So good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunrise. Welcome to worship on this beautiful spring day. Here it's going to crack well above 70. I'm going to hit 80, 80 this week in the 80s. So I love summer. I love nature. The, we love sitting on the deck and just be surrounded by trees. And It's my happy place, my happy place. So anyway, welcome to Sunrise. It's a go, so good to have you guys singing with us and worshiping with us. Um, welcome to you guys online, worshiping with us as well. Just go ahead and stand. We're going to start worship by singing a song. Um, you came, Lazarus, and I love the lyrics in this song. Um, you came, I knew that you would come. You sang, my heart it woke up. So wherever you may find yourself this morning, in a um, in your journey, in your walk with the Lord, find yourself close to Him, or find yourself kind of wandering away. Know that God is constantly pursuing you. He's per- constantly drawing you closer to Him. So. God loves you. God is good. Let's worship and sing together.
1: A miracle working
2: Surrounds me And there's nothing to fear now For I'm safe
0: with you
2: Sing this out So when I fight I fight on my knees With my hands lifted high Oh God The battle belongs to you every fear I lay at your feet, and I'll sing through the night, oh God, the battle belongs to you. Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. When all I see is the cross, God, you see an empty tomb. So when I fight I fight on my knees With my hands lifted
1: high
2: Oh God, the battle belongs to you And every fear I lay at your feet I see through the night Oh God, the battle belongs to you Almighty fortress You go before us Nothing can stand against the power of our God You shine in the shadow You win every battle Nothing can stand against the power of our God Almighty fortress You go before us Can stand against the power of our God You shine in the shadows You win every battle Nothing can stand against the power of our God In almighty fortress You go before us Nothing can stand against the power of our God shine in the shadow to win every battle nothing can stand against the power of our God so when I fight i fight on my knees with my hands lifted high oh God the battle belongs to you and every fear I at your feet and sing through the night oh God the battle belongs to you oh God the battle belongs to you
3: You've shown that through our lives, through the words of Scripture, the times that you have been faithful, and even when so often we forget and we lose trust and we fail, God, you never change. You are faithful through the ages, from beginning to end. And God, sometimes it's hard to see that. It's hard to see that when things are falling apart and we're scared and we're mad or everything going on, God. Help us to remember and trust and know that you are good. And even when we can't see it in our limited view of what's happening, God, we know you are faithful and true and trustworthy and holy never change, God. Help us in our times of need. Help us in our times of rejoicing to look to you and to thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. Open our eyes to see it around us. In your name we pray, amen.
0: You guys can take a seat.
4: morning. Does your face feel undressed? It's like, whoa, air. <laughs> so nice. Uh, my name is Byron, middle name Center, so people can spell it and say it correctly. Uh, my wife, Mary, is on her way back home after a week away, so we'll keep in her in my prayers as she drives. But I, I just want to say that it has been a wonderful experience for us to become a part of Sunshine, Sunrise Ministries. I keep saying Sunshine. Sorry. <laughs> Sunrise Ministries, and, and it's just been wonderful to, to get plugged in and, and be part of a small group and, and uh, help out in various ways. So, thank you. So, uh, some announcements. Uh, first of all, if you'd like to know more about Sunrise, maybe it's your first time here today, there's a QR code on the back of the chairs Sometimes there's one on the screen, but we'll pass that. So just scan that QR code, and it'll get you connected to our uh, website, and there you can find out more. If you'd really like to know more, there's a partnership class coming up. The date got changed to June 6th, which is a Sunday. It's right after the morning service, and uh, you get a chance to meet with the pastoral staff and, and find out more, ask questions, hear the story of sunrise, and then there's a light lunch right after that. So... Uh, if you'd like to sign up for that, please do so. Um, you could do that you know, through an email or let somebody know that you'd like to, to be here that Sunday. They, uh, Sunrise does a cool thing called Three's Company. Uh, three singles or families uh, move into an apartment with a cranky landlord. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd get that. I mean, uh, so. Anyway, no, it's, uh, you get together three times. And it can be singles, it can be a family. Um, you, you know, Each group gets to host one of the meetings. So it could be outdoors, uh, whatever, whatever works for your group. Uh, but please sign up for that um, through an email. You know, log into the website and, and sign up for Three's Company. Be part of that. Uh, Summer Campout is coming up uh, Friday, June 4th. That's uh, an event right here on the church grounds. Bring a tent. Bring, a, bring an RV, <laughs> let's camp. Uh, there'll be fun stuff, and uh, so please uh, come, bring families, You know, bring your group, and uh, let's have fun on uh, that Friday night. Um, so, that's it. Hey, I'm glad you're here today. God is with us, because we're here, and we're plugged into God. God meets us here, so let's meet with him today. Thank you, Byron. Good morning, everybody. Good
5: morning. That was robust. I like it. Uh, my name is Dan Fisher, I, and I have a chair up here with me because a week and a few days ago I was in a car accident. Some of you have been asking about that. My back is better. It still hurts, and I'm fidgety. So sometimes I need to sit down. Sometimes I need to stand up. <clears throat> Hopefully I'm not a distraction to you. If I am, sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> Uh, We are glad that we're able to meet without masks. We got together, the elders uh, and I, after uh, Governor Whitmer, and the CDC decided that it would be fine for us to meet without masks. And so uh, it was a little bit bittersweet for us to land on us not needing to wear masks here. Of course, we're not going to ask folks where you are in your vaccination, but uh, what's great about it is we can come in here without masks on. What's bad about it is my father-in-law, who's here today, is not wearing a mask to hide the ugly. (laughs) Amen. You, you hear this straight from the horse's mouth. But that's all why we all wear beards. That's why we all wear beards. Yes. Uh, we're excited that you're here. Uh, if you're here for the first time, you've been here for a long time. Uh, we want Sunrise to be a place where you feel comfortable, where you feel welcome, even if you're my father-in-law without a mask on. Uh, so today, we are continuing what has been a very long series called Our Story. This is Ascension Sunday, where followers of Jesus throughout the world for centuries have gotten together to celebrate not just the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus up to Easter, but to go beyond that and to celebrate Jesus' ascension up into heaven. Now, this story, of course, is coming at the very end of a very tragic situation for his followers. I mean, his followers saw Jesus taken to trial beaten to a bloody pulp, and hung on a cross and killed. I mean, think about it. Your favorite third-grade teacher. I say third-grade teacher because Mrs. Sabin was my favorite teacher in school. She had curly hair and used lots of Aquanet, so on her birthday when she was blowing out candles on a cake that she did not know were trick candles, we found out how flammable that Aquanet was. But you have teachers, you have pastors, you have people who you listen to, who you follow, who have taught you lots of things. Maybe it's a grandmother or an aunt. And that person, perhaps, has passed away. And you're left in a place, like the disciples were, where the person who you have invested in, the person who has invested in you so much, is now no longer with you. Or you can imagine what that might be like. So the disciples are reeling, this man who has been telling them for three years that I am the way to peace, I am the one who is establishing a kingdom on this world that you are a part of and that will bring justice to everything, it will wipe out diseases, it will make sure that everyone has healthcare, and then he's murdered. And So you're wondering if all of the hope as the disciples, you're wondering if you've put all of this hope into a man who for some reason now has been found out to be a fraud. We find out that after Jesus dies, of course, he's resurrected, and the disciples are excited about this. Some of them are doubting what's happening. I don't know if this is really Jesus. I mean, it looks like a ghost. He's eaten fish. He died a few days ago. And so they're in this web of wondering, of doubt, of fear. Maybe a sense of excitement, trying to hold on to the hope that he had implanted into their hearts. And then we come to this day of ascension. This day where Jesus, whom after he had died, was buried and resurrected, and had spent some days kind of popping around visiting some of his disciples, now meets his disciples on a mountaintop. It's not a big mountain. It's the Mount of Olives outside of the city of Jerusalem. This is a place where Jesus met with his disciples many times. Lots of olive trees. This is also the place where Jesus prayed with his disciples the night that he was betrayed. And it's there, if Jesus and now 11, because Judas Iscariot stepped out and subtracted himself. There are 11 disciples with Jesus. And he's talking with them. And then he ascends into heaven. And what in the world does all of this mean? <laughs> I've seen, you've perhaps seen people die. I'm not talking about on TV or on a movie, but you've seen that happen. I have never seen anyone levitate off of their bed and go up through the sky and disappear. And this just sounds bananas, right? I mean... What in the world are we as a people who follow a man who lived thousands of years ago doing with a story like this? A man who was crucified, who was buried, resurrected, and then we're also going to say he ascended. What does this mean? I want to submit to you that it fits very well into this overall story that we've been covering through scripture and even touches on our story today as it continues to extend to the place where we will live and rest in the full kingdom of God with full justice Full equality, no masks. Father, we come to you this morning with all kinds of questions. I mean, just like the disciples here in this story are gathered, many of them believing, some of them doubting, perhaps we come to the story the same way. It just doesn't make sense with our experience of life to celebrate the idea of a person, even you. Dying, coming back to life, and then ascending. So would you help us as we look at this passage of scripture, written by a tax collector, to see you and to see what you have for us in it. In Christ's name, amen. So Matthew is a tax collector. He's a follower of Jesus. Uh, He was a Jewish man who sold himself out to the state, uh, the Roman state, and he decided that... He was going to get a leg up in life by taking taxes from his own Jewish citizens and give them to Rome. And in the process, he'd pad himself. Somewhere along the way, Jesus intersects his story, and Matthew says, You know what, Jesus? I find your story and your teachings compelling enough. I will follow you. So Matthew is in the scene at the story that we're going to be looking at. He's also the person who wrote these words in a letter that in your Bible is called, the book of Matthew. He writes in Matthew chapter 28, Then the eleven disciples, remember it's eleven because Judas Iscariot the twelfth, betrayed Jesus, he hung himself, he's out of the picture now. So they went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Which mountain was that again? I already told you. Mount of Olives. Well done. I don't know if they're green or black, but they're olives. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. There's a a humanity, there's an earthiness here in this story. No matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus, you fit in this story. You can call yourself a disciple even if there is doubt in your heart. After you have fully experienced and acknowledged and affirmed that Jesus came, he died and he was resurrected, there is still room in some of his followers' heart for doubt. And Jesus in this story has nothing to do with condemning that. He says this, Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hang with me on this. If you grew up in the church, you know this. Like, this is as familiar to you as the back of your hand. Listen here. This is what he says All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a big deal. I mean, if your neighbor walks up to you and says, Look, all the nations of this world, they're going to bow to me, I'm in charge the authority of determining who is born and who is not, how long people live, all of that authority is given to me. That's what Jesus is saying. So since that authority has been given to me, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know what you imagine Jesus would have said to his disciples as he was going back to heaven. I mean, if it was one of us, it might be, you know what, guys, it was nice seeing you. Um, I, I'm heading out. Best of luck. Go Cubs. <laughs> Where it might be, you know what, I lived a long life. I did the best that I could. I tried to create for you the smoothest path path forward. We all know that there comes a time in life where those who have loved you, who have nurtured you, pass away. And I cannot be there for you moving forward, and so you must find your way. This is not what Jesus says. It's a very interesting moment in the story of Scripture. It's an important enough moment in the story of Scripture and in the the history of the world that there's this chapel of the Ascension that has been built on Mount of Olives. This is a place that some people have said you can actually see the footprint of Jesus as he stood there before he was ascended. I don't know. There's nothing in this story that tells us after Jesus ascended, the disciples locked arms in a circle around the footprint and said, Go get the builders. (laughs) But this is built. This is built up on top of the ground, on the surface of the earth. But the followers of Jesus, after this story happened, were fearful. And so instead of gathering in a chapel like the one you just saw, they went underground, which you can go to today. You can see the sign there that says Gethsemane, if you have good eyes. There's a, a doorway there that goes under the earth and takes you to a cave. The disciples would have met in a place like this. I don't know how old this particular cave chapel is, but you can see right there you've got people with backpacks, light skin, who are going through there taking pictures. I took a picture, too. This has been there for years. I'm sharing this with you because this story is not just one that we say, well, within the bounds of the church and within our faith, this is real, but we'd have no idea if it's anchored in reality. The fact of the matter is this is anchored somehow in the reality of the history that we all have become a part of and in the river of history that has carried the Christian church this far. You can see all these different kinds of paintings that were done in this space. This was done in part, no doubt, because of the words that Jesus declares. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now to us, that sounds bananas. I mean, every toddler acts like this is true, right? (laughs) But here you have a man who says all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. To us, this sounds crazy, but in the ears of the Jewish followers of Jesus, the Jews who didn't follow Jesus, the Roman citizens, this was not peculiar to proclaim. I mean, it was the Caesars of Rome who would commonly declare that they were gods and that they were the God not just of Rome, but of the world. And it was the empire, it was the empire, the empire's religion that would say when a a Caesar dies, an emperor dies, he enters the pantheon, he enters the sphere of the gods. And so this would be nothing new for a Roman king, a Greek person, to hear a Roman Greek leader say, look, all authority is mine. Which was true, because the king could determine taxes decide what rights you had as a citizen, what rights you didn't have if you weren't a citizen. It's where crucifixion comes from, because the God of the Roman Empire, who claimed authority of all heaven and earth, declared that if someone does something horrific enough, they will be horrifically killed by the cross. And so it was easy to see how the Roman Empire's leaders... And the spiritual system that was built around them could create a world where it would seem as though the only person who actually has the power over life and death and what happens in terms of citizenship is the Roman Caesar. So when Jesus says these words, he's saying, (laughs) I don't know what empire you're part of, I don't know what leaders you enjoy, you follow, what policies you think are best. I don't know what you think about the power that your leaders have, but the fact of the matter is, all of that power bows to Jesus. How comfortable do you feel with that? I mean, I go to a doctor and a chiropractor now because... They're the ones who have the authority to help me understand what's going on with my back. We listen to what our bosses say or don't because they have a level of authority that we honor or that we realize they haven't managed well and so we don't trust it. You don't need to say this out loud, but just internally, when you hear this statement from Jesus saying, I have power and authority that ascends beyond any level of power and authority you have seen in any system or in any person, how do you respond? There's room here for you as a follower of Jesus to respond to that with faith. Yeah, I believe that is true. Or even with a measure of doubt. Some of those 11 who were there with him on this day saw too. So just as there's this chapel of ascension that's been constructed to help us remember this ascension of Jesus, there's also the Arch of Titus. The Arch of Titus is a place that still exists. You can see it today. It's this huge arch, I don't have a picture of it, that's in the Roman world that actually depicts the Caesars, after they die, being taken into heaven on the back of Ingalls' wings, which is just beautiful. But this whole idea of ascending is not something new, ascending to heaven. I mean, even in the Jewish story, even in these stories that we have covered, we see glimpses of ascension and what that means. See, a long time ago in the book of Genesis, the people of God, before God flooded the world with the story of Noah, people decided to come together to build this huge tower, the Tower of Babel, so that they could ascend into heaven so that they could somehow grasp authority that would help them rule the world. And So we see this desire to ascend to heaven for a very long time. In Exodus chapter 24, the story of Moses. You can see Moses up here, the seventh polygon over. Polygon, many-sided. Kids, remember that for math class. <laughs> or whatever class that was. Moses goes up the Mount Sinai, and it's there that he receives the law of God. Now, he didn't go up into heaven, but if you look at the Old Testament scriptures, the rabbis show us this in their studies, you have portions of scripture that say, how can someone go up into the presence of God, go into the heavenlies, and hear and know his laws? In the story of Moses, we have Moses who goes up into the heavens, if you will. He climbs a mountain, there are clouds below. It seems as though he goes into heaven, he has the law of God, and he comes down and he presents it to the people of Israel. This is a big deal. Anyone who ascends into heaven is somehow viewed as someone who is able to speak on behalf of God because they have experienced God in a way that no one else has. You move forward a little bit to 2 Kings, you can see David up here. I don't know which polygon over he is. Somebody do the math real quick for me because I dropped that class twice in college before I failed. But you see David there. About that time is when Elijah was walking the earth. He's a prophet of God. Prophet, important. Moses, lawgiver, important. Elijah, prophet of God. Someone who on behalf of God is willing to say, look, people of God, you're wrong on this, you're right on that, straighten up. We've got people who are watching us and we've got to live in the way that God wants us to. Elijah, if we read the story, ascends into heaven on a chariot. And in that process, he is one of the leaders of Israel who comes to know and experience God in a way that we cannot. And he hands off the mantle of leadership to Elisha. There's a lot going on here. Moses, lawgiver, ascends to God, experiences him, brings the law back down to the people of God. Elijah ascends to God, passes off the mantle of leadership to Elisha, prophet, king. So for every Jewish person, who was around, who sees this story of Jesus ascending into heaven, there is a glimpse in their minds of a king like Moses, who knows the law of God, somehow is mixed into the person of Jesus. Somehow this image of Elijah, who is a prophet of God, who hands off to Elisha the leadership, the authority, the commission to go and bring more people to God, somehow, these two stories are coming into the reality of Jesus ascending into heaven. Now, pause button. I just want to acknowledge for you what you guys know is true that i haven 't yet said. This verses that we 're reading in matthew chapter twenty eight say absolutely nothing about Jesus ascending into heaven he, he is he 's ascending into heaven. The fact that it 's not here is just reflective of the, of the reality that people don 't really know actually when this part of the story took place. The very beginning of Acts, you find the story there very clearly of Jesus ascending, those words are there, but we're looking at this passage in Matthew chapter 28 to help us understand what it means, what Jesus is saying, as he ascends. Matthew, this guy who writes this book, he's writing this book not simply to communicate history for us. No one who writes scripture is writing only to communicate history. These are the things that I saw happen Matthew is writing from the perspective throughout his book in such a way to help us see that it is God who is king. Remember how I told you before that it was the Roman Caesars who were viewed as the kings of the earth and of the heavens. But all throughout Matthew, you have several statements that Matthew makes, like in Matthew chapter 4, for one example, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come near. There's this language of Jesus being king. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray in the book of Matthew, he prays, God, would your kingdom come? The kingdom of this world and of heaven, that is exactly the way God wants it to be, would it come here? So there's a lot going on. Again, This idea of Jesus being somehow a lawgiver who is able to see and know and be in the presence of God and show the people of God how to live. Elisha, who is a prophet of God who goes up to heaven, who hands off authority to someone else who is going to communicate to other people who God is. And then this story of Matthew who is trying to help us see that it is Jesus who is king. Matthew goes on to write these words, saying that Jesus said in yellow here, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, we're on this side of this story. This makes sense. But Jesus is saying, look, I am, I have the same amount of authority as the God in heaven who has been active in all of these stories. The God of heaven who flooded the earth, who brought life into a dead womb of Sarah, who split the oceans open who swallowed up Jonah in a whale and spit him out so that people could see and know me. I'm the one who, God is the one who raised Jairus' daughter back to life. All of that authority that was used is also in me. I am every bit of the God who you follow. And so what I want you to do is to tell people that. I just want you to tell people this. I want you to go back to where you work. I want you to go back to your tax collecting. I want you to go back to fishing. I want you to go back to staying at home with your kids. I want you to go back to your retired life. I want you to go back to the nursing floor. I want you to go back to the bank. I want you to tell people about me. I'm not expecting you to move all of heaven and earth to come up with a really great argument for people to bludgeon them into believing that what you saw and are hearing right now is true. I just want you to go tell people about me. Teach them the things that you learned from me and baptize them. What that means is if they say, Yeah, you know what, I believe that too. Well, then doggone it. Embrace them and tell them you're a part of us. That's what baptism looks like, that's what it signifies. Teach him everything that I have commanded you. So here we have this Jesus who is a law-giving king, a prophetic prophet who's handing off authority we see here, who is the representative of God and the king of the world, Matthew is telling us, who says, go and tell people about this. He doesn't say, now pay me taxes, make sure that you're given 10%. He doesn't say, tuck in your shirts, don't wear jeans on the stage. Just tell people about me. There's something hugely life-giving here. Any king who has the amount of authority of a Roman emperor is able to demand anything he wants from anyone. And all Jesus demands is tell this story, which culminates in us right now looking at a passage of scripture that Matthew took the time to write down because it was a story that was compelling enough for him to share. Jesus then goes on to say, "We're landing the plane here. Don't worry." The very last words of Jesus, "I'm with you always to the very end of the age." This is perplexing, too, guys. I'm leaving. I'm going now. But I'm always with you. We say that kind of thing all the time, right? We tell our kids, our grandkids, who are going to live life not knowing the aunt or uncle or grandmother that we knew. Like, my sister and I don't know my mom's mom. She died before we were born. But we'll hear from my mom things like, you have two moles right there, my sister, that match exactly my mother. There's a piece of her with you. You laugh like this person. See, they're not really gone. You know what I'm talking about, right? But Jesus is saying something dramatically more. If we just look at the story of Matthew that he's writing for us all along. Remember in the beginning of Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, he writes that the Virgin Mary will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? Tell me. God with us. So, this Jesus, who represents in a greater version of Moses as a king who is able to know and to communicate to God's people the laws of God, this Jesus, who is an even better Elijah, who ascends into heaven and passes off authority to his followers so that they might help the world see that, as Matthew says, Jesus is king. This same God who does all of these things takes the time to say, I want you to do these things for me. I just want you to tell people about me. I want you to embrace them in the waters of baptism and say, You're a part of us, even if you have doubt. But I also want you to know you're not going to be by yourselves. I'm going to be with you. This is the Holy Spirit, this gift of God that is given after ascension at Pentecost. And that's where we'll pick up our story next week. If we were to put a bow on top of all of this, I think here's what the big idea for today would be. In the story of Jesus who says, he's communicating at the ascension, he is greater than Moses, he is greater than Elijah, he is greater than the Roman kings of the world, what we see Jesus saying is that God is greater, Jesus is greater than anyone or anything. So if that is true, and if he is with you, how does that change your week? You guys who play instruments and sing because a lot of us don't know how to, go ahead and come on up for a second. Where you're seated in the privacy of your own mind, just take a moment to drop your head for a minute or do whatever it is, whatever posture, whatever it is you need to do with your eyes just to help you review a few things. You just looked at a story where Jesus is proclaiming himself to be that Matthew, this follower of Jesus, is proclaiming Jesus to be better than Moses who communicated the law of God to Israel. Better than Elijah who brought miracles, who passed off all of the authority that he had to his followers we find in the story of Jesus who is stronger than any king of this earth any boss or teacher that we have any bully we know of who in this interaction with his disciples with us wants us to tell people about him wants us to tell him the things that we're learning he promises to be with us during all of that what if this is true What if it is true that God is with you in the things that you're concerned about in this coming week? How does that change your priorities? If you could right now plan out your conversations with people, how it is you live this next week in light of this passage. Jesus isn't demanding that we have the perfect lawn. He's not even demanding that your kids don't swear. He's inviting us to share a story. How does that change your conversations this week? God, we're not any better than the disciples who were with you on the Mount of Olives before you ascended. Some of us have faith, some of us have doubt, some of us have a mixture of both. And if we're honest, there's a sense of discouragement, of disappointment that you're not bodily present with us now. Some of us don't know how in the world we're going to walk through life without you here because it feels like we've lost so much. And others of us feel excited and we feel enlivened about the reality that you are still with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would help me, that you would help us know not just that all authority is yours, that we would not just know that it's important for us to share the story of you. God, would you help us to know that when we return to the classroom, we interact with our in-laws when we see our grown children, our grumpy neighbors, whoever they are, that you're with us. God, we love you and we trust you. In the name of the one to whom you've given all authority in heaven and on earth, we pray. Amen. At the end of every service, we close with a song, and we invite people to give. Really singing with hearts in gratitude for what God has done, hearts of prayer, asking God to walk with you in the next week is an expression, it is a way of giving to God what He wants, an openness to live a life in submission to Him. For some people, that's really easy to do. For some people, it's really easy to give money. an expression of that. For others, it's really easy to give time with kids in the nursery. All of those expressions of giving to God what he is due, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is the one to whom all of our lives should be given. So if you want to give financially, you're able to do that. There's a bucket there in the back that you can drop stuff in. You can scan the QR codes in front of you to give electronically. We're not watching that. Just like we're not watching you when you sing. But that's our invitation to you because we believe that the authority that has been given to God is strong enough to transform our own lives with his grace and love so that we can do the same for others. Let's sing one more song before we go. about an adult being with a little kid that makes that little kid feel like they're okay whether it's a little kid that you're literally holding in your arms or a little kid who's crammed into the body of a 50 year old we serve a god who is with us a god who as he is with us when we look at the story of scripture begins to do some wonderful things and demands that we shift our lives to follow him Next week, we're going to start to look at that. What does it look like for a God who ascends, who promises to be with us, to actually be with us? We invite you to join us back for that conversation. In the meantime, have a great week. We love you guys. May the God who is transforming our lives with his love and grace continue to transform yours as we seek to transform the world around us with his grace and love. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.